everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Low Code Approach. I am Sean Feeney. And I'm Wendy Haddad. And I am Tim Aguilar, also high on coffee and fresh off of my latest episode of Ahsoka. Wow, this is more than we needed to know. Shout <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Uh, and today we are joined by one of my most favorite people to talk to. You may know him as Brad. I know him as Brad. This is Bradley Orlick, or Brad Orlick, uh, the global head of Microsoft Partnership at Own Backup. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Sean. Good morning, good afternoon to everyone out there. Wendy, Ken, good to see you, and uh, coffee time it is. I'm with you. Thank you all for allowing me a little bit of an opportunity here to uh, share a little bit about myself and own and, you know, how we work together and how Dataverse is pretty awesome and it's going to take over the world and we're going to do it together. But no, I mean, just a little bit about us. Own is an organization that, you know, provides compliance, regulatory and BCDR capabilities or backup and recover and disaster kind of recovery of business continuity capabilities for customers across SaaSes. So it's kind of a unique space where a lot of vendors, you know, traditionally think about like bare metal recovery and recovery time objectives and things like that. And, you know, it's, that's not where the businesses that we work with are going jointly. They're embracing microservices and cloud redundant systems that are a little bit different and their needs aren't really about just doing a dumb copy of the data. It's really about improving downtime and making sure their SLAs back to the business is, you know, really taken care of and having, you know, record level restoration capabilities. And then the ability to do things like GDPR redactions, for example, of data, we can do that kind of thing. So again, it's a story about integrating and enhancing things that are already built into, say, Fabric and the Dataverse, you know, so it's, you know, we're not being duplicative. We're just adding more creature comforts and capabilities for customers to be successful at driving adoption in the cloud. So that's a little bit about what we do. Personally, I'm a reformed SharePoint nerd. So been through, you know, fast deployments and content databases growing unwieldy on-prem. And then also I, I had been at another workflow vendor that may have some interesting conflicts with another workflow vendor. And ultimately they're all one now. So I was in that space too. So just been around the block a few times, focus on partnerships now and, and really driving scale through that kind of joint go-to-market and joint program and building together with Microsoft. So long-winded answer, but love having fun with technology and working with really cool people like everybody I'm talking to right now. And I am... I am from Buffalo, New York, so go Bills. Uh, well, Bradley, go it's really good to have you on the podcast. I want to double click on your reform SharePoint nerd comment, as well as I think you work in Dataverse and specifically around security. So we've talked a ton about SharePoint versus Dataverse. We talked about the scalability of the Power Platform and some of the technical limitations, but talk to me about the security considerations of when would I want a SharePoint list? When would I want Dataverse? It, does security by obscurity actually work? And so as you're designing the apps, like how are you thinking through and advising your customers? That is a fantastic question, Wendy. I would say in my old days of being an IA uh, or information architect uh, at a Fortune 500 customer, 
joint customer. We, you know, when we had those giant content databases, we had a lot of content. So we had a lot of lists, a lot of libraries, just a lot of stuff in there. And naturally, a lot of customers did lift and shifts into SharePoint Online and just kind of move that stuff. But some of the foundational challenges that being, you know, focused on low code, no code and, and business process automation was that, you know, you were enumerating a ton of data and doing these security, you know, looking at access control lists as part of the behind the scenes things. So performance was often impacted severely if you weren't careful about the way you architected how you look at those data structures as part of the workflow process, for example. And, you know, Dataverse really just kind of negates that entirely because you can access, you know, the data structure in a way that doesn't have a negative impact on the platform. So when I think about, you know, Microsoft and really focusing in on pro developers and people who build automation out for their businesses and their organizations at scale, Dataverse just unlocks a performance capability that was only really had by people who were building, you know, custom.net apps back in the day. So it's leveled out this playing field from a capability and performance perspective with custom dev without all the heavy lifting. So, I mean, from my perspective, that's where it's at is we want to have a ton of capability and not be boxed in by any particular platform. And that's what Dataverse, from my perspective, really brings into the conversation. b I've got a question for you. SharePoint has a long and storied history of being very extensible through APIs and so on. And now with the introduction of Dataverse, we have many partners who are helping Microsoft and their customers drive success through adoption with Dataverse through say Power Automate and Dataverse or Power Apps and Dataverse. Can you maybe expand on a little bit about how partners today help customers drive change and innovation within their organizations? Sure, absolutely. I feel like I have a little bit of a unique perspective on it, just having been in the ISV or independent software vendor you know, side of things. So another development shop that builds on top of Microsoft technology versus, you know, a systems integration partner who's going out and doing project work for customers. So again, it's a, it's a little bit different of a perspective that I have, but also coming just from being inside of a corporate IT organization. I think that the way that partners are really driving the value is the technology is changing fast. Microsoft is an engineering first firm. You guys build cool stuff and then figure out how to sell it. And that's awesome. But it's challenging for IT shops and, you know, end customers to keep up with that pace of change without having partners to do things like tie it all back together, you know, kind of put a bow on it or at least help accelerate the adoption of the technology. So that's where partners really kind of come in. And it really is a better together story that we take to our joint customers is, again, there's so much technology. And there's so many amazing outputs that you can glean from that technology. And if you don't have the proper enablement in place or the proper plan, you're going to have poor performance, as they say. So we'll leave one of the words out of that. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's a matter of, you know, just how do you actually run versus just crawl? And that's where partners, I think, really come into play with the Microsoft story in the market. It's speaking of some of the technology and whatnot. I know my good friend and colleague, Sean, has a lot of experience with some of the legacy technology 
within SharePoint ecosystem and whatnot. Sean, maybe perhaps you have a question for Brad. Yeah, Brad mentioned earlier, you know, Microsoft is, is an engineering driven firm and we build great products, but some of those products, especially legacy ones are coming to end of life. And one of those is InfoPath. And if you are a SharePoint nerd, most likely you were an InfoPath nerd too. And so you dealt with maybe some of the complexities around InfoPath and some of that involves data, where you're storing that data, user experience, designing things. Well, it's time to modernize those solutions that you've built off of InfoPath. And I'm <laughs> working with Brad and knowing Brad's work in the partner space, I think his perspective of how customers and ISVs and partners look at the deprecation of the software and the opportunity for modernization, how do they approach that? I would love to get your take on that, Brad, especially when it deals with the possibilities of low code coming in to help. Wow, there's a lot there to unpack because it's it's InfoPath, right? I, I have also... to deal with Ken, so I only get so much time on the mic, so I try to fit it all in as much as I can. <laughs> well, I'm going back to Ken too. When we were thinking about the old old days of SharePoint, uh, you know, the SharePoint OGs out there really they're they're talking about you know creating custom solutions and deploying them in SharePoint. So, ah, uh, the horror. Well, people do say that it was the first low code platform. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Workflow Foundation in Windows that ultimately was the foundation of Workflow for SharePoint, you know, really, it got a lot done. It really did get a lot done, but, and it was very approachable for people who weren't classical developers. And I'll say this to date myself, I may have lived through a, a migration from something called notes, notice <laughs> <laughs> notes to SharePoint and beyond. And, uh, you know, now Power Automate and all those different tools. But again, I feel like that idea of the citizen developer is something I'm still pretty passionate about because I, I believe that that is a, a term that was coined some time ago, but it's the evolution of that term. And it's not just it's not just a classically trained, you know, .NET developer. It's someone who has, you know, a wherewithal across the business and how do they take their technical know-how about platforms and tools that sit on those platforms to you know, do things like provide automation and, you know, user experience like a form and be able to scale that up to solve real business challenges like CapEx approvals and product onboardings and, you know, you name whatever the use case is, but there's a lot of them out there. But InfoPath, I can say uh, I was there for the funeral procession of it at the uh, SharePoint conference in 2014. So that was a good time. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, the rumors of InfoPath's death have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, and But hopefully the, the final nail will go into the coffin soon. Again, I think that InfoPath was a great set of capabilities that was put out into the market. But, you know, sometimes you can build something that, it, you know, doesn't, it tries to be everything to everyone. And I think InfoPath suffered from that a little bit. It, it tried to be too many different things. It was not just a tool for taking care of a repair job. It was a kitchen sink. It was a garage. It was a house. It was a subdivision. It was too much. And it tried to appease to too many things. And it was also constrained, if you think about it. When we think about the constraints that have been taken off of no-code, low-code, and again, having a user experience against that, things like Power Automate, and then being able to tie that back into, you know, RPA capabilities in the platform now, and then forms and being able to have it all in the cloud and accessible from anywhere. And then obviously the data set being stored in something that's hyperscalable and also providing itself very well, very quickly in a secure fashion, Wendy, <laughs> to the entire business. 
So I'm again, kind of alluding to fabric here. You know, the fact that I have my data in the data lake, the fact the data factory is is there and on, and I can get at this stuff from, you know, Power BI and consume it and then cube it out against data that's relevant to my business across organizations. That's incredible. And that, again, has only been available to hardcore developers for a long time. But now this technology is being I don't want to say it's democratized, but it is in a sense that it's just so much more accessible. It's just so much more accessible and the infrastructure you don't have to worry about on the back end. I think that's really like a, a beautiful aspect of it is if I had InfoPath, if I had SharePoint, if I had on-prem tools, I had to worry about, you know, every three years modernizing my infrastructure and how I'm going to deal with that. But in the cloud, I mean, it's always on, it's always up to date and it's always ready for my customers and my, my challenges. So... Hey, That's kind right. of a really long answer for, you know, it, it's time to put things like InfoPath to bed <laughs> and, yeah, and adopt I, some I, new technology that really outclasses it in every possible way. I got to say, it was a kitchen sink. It was a garage is the best obituary I've ever heard for a product <laughs> ever. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Don't, don't get me started on performance point server. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I have to laugh there. <laughs> hey, Bradley, I, I want to double click on the InfoPath a little bit more because I'm hearing, I think, more awareness and maybe angst as we start coming on end of life. I think it was so far away initially when we announced it that customers were were kicking the can, they were waiting a little bit, and now they're starting to realize, oh, I need to start putting governance in place. Or I need to start enabling my developers to be able to use the platform. A couple things to think through here. First one is for someone who is, I've built InfoPath forms, I've done SharePoint workflow, how hard is it for them to transition to the Power Platform? How similar are those skills? And then for IT leaders, do you think they're going to use this in the same way? Or do you think that they're going to be building different kinds of workflows and automations and there's there's new benefits and maybe new challenges that might come up? I think that's a great question, Wendy. From my perspective, I think because the tools have been available in some way, shape, or form in the cloud for a while now, I think most of the classic, you know, info path developers and, you know, SharePoint workflow developers, they're already, you know, at least somewhat acclimatized to Power Automate and what they can do on that, you know, side of the house. So I feel like from a skill set perspective, it should be like ducks to water. People should be able to kind of retool and reskill themselves pretty darn quickly, just because again, the approachability of cloud-based power platform capabilities is so much better. It just it's just greatly expanded. The the second piece of that though, like where we talk about what about the stuff we've already built and what the business cares about, I do think leaders need to be across that. So having good executive buy-in from modernization perspective is pretty critical and having buy-in and that's actually something I've been a champion of for a long time is Yes, I'm in sales now coming from a technical side, but ultimately we're all in sales. Even when I was in corporate IT and in infrastructure, and then ultimately in, in collaboration, I was selling what we did back to our leadership all the time, both our technical leadership and to the business. And that's a skill that I would argue that a lot more people need to pick up in addition to the tools themselves is how to effectively communicate back to leadership the value of adopting these new technologies and and the art of the possible. So doing things like lunch and learns or proof of concepts back to the business when you know that a new um, initiative is being undertaken and providing your value add back to leadership, I think that's incredibly important and an aspect a lot of people don't consider when they start thinking about these new technologies that make their lives easier. 
And then the last piece of it is treat it as a project. A lot of organizations will just kind of say, oh, well, you know, we're going to start using, you know, everything that new is going to be these new tools and everything old will just kind of, you know, best effort upgrade it. Having lived through some of those modernization exercises, if you really want to do it right, figure out a way to carve out some kind of project plan against going against those existing assets and how do you modernize them and which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of. Doing that is very, very important. <laughs> and that's also a good plug for partners. You know, sometimes partners can help accelerate some of that. I know budgets are always challenging, but uh, it is something to consider because I think there's a lot of value in having partners uh, accelerate some of that uh, busy work, if you will. So you can focus on, on you know, driving results and success for your organization. You made me snickered for a moment when you said, you know, ducks to water, because the ducks in my neighborhood, I have a lake very close, but they never are in the lake. They're always on the roofs of all the homes. So it seems like the ducks are evolving much like our customers and our technology. Um, such that things like Copilot and the introduction of that along with Fabric make the product so much more compelling for the customers. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about how, for example, Copilot and Fabric will allow our customers to organically adopt the technologies. And perhaps maybe where do you feel there are gaps within Copilot and Fabric? So great question. I, I will answer it probably a little superficially just due to the simple fact that I'm now not carrying my bag anymore and being a tech guy. I've only done cursory work with the back end. So I, I'll do this no justice. So I'll, I'm going to plug right now, Alan Garcia, who is an MVP in the BizApp space. And he he's one of my colleagues here at OWN. We're going to be at Power Platform Conference in a couple of weeks. And we, have, we actually have a session where we talk about just this. You should join us <laughs> for sure. Where I think it really comes together or or some of those seams is, you know, again, you've got a whole lot of stuff going on behind the scenes from a technology perspective between fabric harnessing, you know, Power BI and Synapse for kind of the analytics and the visualization piece. You know, you've got Data Factory in there as well. And then one lake to store all this stuff. And then obviously you even have things like Purview. So there's there's so many different kind of pieces and parts to it. I think the beauty of Copilot is you, you still need pilots, <laughs> which would be your pro devs and and the like who kind of really understand how it all comes together and how it all works. But it brings an accessibility to the platform that it, by power users or even casual users who just simply don't have the technical wherewithal to be able to do that themselves. So I think that's really the game changer is that you can abstract a lot of complexity with Copilot that you just simply couldn't do in the past. And if you were doing it in the past, it was primitive. It was, you know, some chat bot and you were giving it canned responses and things like that. And I think having the ability to have Copilot, you know, provide something back to the user that's contextually accurate and specific to their needs, I think that's really, really powerful. And that's something that we all need to embrace now. Yeah, by the way, I love the name of your uh, UAL session at MPPC, at Microsoft Power Platform Conference. Hey, Copilot, undo that. <laughs> it's a, a great... <laughs> It's a rather provocative uh, title, so you should you should come join us again. It's uh, it's just one of those things where you know partners we're we're all in this together, and uh, you know you got to tell the the whole story, and I think we can do that pretty effectively. So I expect to expect to see all of you there. <laughs> yeah. I want to double click on that. This has been something I've been mulling over for the last few months. Is 
I think that we're in a season of data. And I say season because I don't know timeframes of when everyone's going to get co-pilot or not or, you know, but AI is here and AI is sitting on top of data and data is so foundational. So this is kind of a, a preparation time for organizations and to be lined up to take advantage of co-pilot and use it. Brad, what are you seeing as, as some of the steps that organizations can take now as they think about their data to set themselves up for success to just really go out the gate running? Oh, uh, good question. I, and I think data has always been just kind of that bugbear or it's just an elephant in the room that we've always had to deal with because as data storage has become trivially expensive or inexpensive at this point in time, we can become professional data hoarders and we can keep everything. So that's really good. I think that that's one of the appeals that brought me to the organization that I'm at is about data. Scott Guthrie said during Build, I believe, that you know customers' data is their own data. And that you know, being able to have your finger on the pulse of the data, regardless of of where it is or what system it's tied back to, I think is absolutely critical. So to answer the question about like, what do customers need to do to kind of prepare for that? Have some kind of plan. Again, I find that a lot of organizations, especially in like the mid-market space, so non-enterprise, you know, customers, I, I would argue that most really large enterprises have enough people to kind of throw at problems to be able to kind of rationalize and think about what the entire architecture is going to look like, or even just the plan for the data. So those folks should keep doing what they're doing. They should keep focusing on, here's the technology, here's our data set, and let's figure out, you know, what are the the milestones that we want to hit as far as being able to get to that panacea of leveraging AI to to kind of do everything for us. And, and you know, we don't have to come to work anymore. We can just tell the business decision-making algorithm how to run the business. I think that that's an ultimate end journey, but smaller enterprises, mid-market, all the way down to, you know, small and medium businesses, there's going to be challenges in there. Again, another, pro, you know, call out for partners to help in that space. But what those individuals and organizations need to think about is at least taking a pen to paper, a whiteboard, cocktail napkin, and thinking about all those different aspects, at least the ones that they can think about, the technology, you know, the people process content kind of thing, right? Thinking about those three different domains and what are they touching and who do they need to involve? And, and that's the big thing is having some kind of plan other than just well, we just copy it to the X drive. You know, it's like that. And that used to be the solution is just people hoard data. They just threw it in a place and they didn't think about it at all. And again, I think the cloud has, you know, helped people get away with that mentality of just hoarding data without any kind of thinking about what they're going to do with it eventually. So having a little bit of a plan and then being able to scope things like, like co-pilot around that data set and, and get meaningful, measurable results out of the model, I think are really, really important. You just gave me an idea for a new reality show, which, you know, based on the theme orders, but specifically on data that all I take. Data hoarders? Yeah. Like, I, I really see lots of companies lining up to have their data inspected. Tune in this Friday to an all new data orders on TLC. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, all right. I'm locking up the podcast title, data orders. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, Brad. This has been awesome having you on. Uh, we would love to have you back on because we have a ton more things that we want to talk to you about. But luckily, those that are coming to MPPC will be able to talk to Brad too in person, uh, which is quite the treat. Brad, I know you know you mentioned that you're going to be there and that you're doing a session. Is there anything else that we should be aware of before we leave our our listeners for this episode? 
Well, first off, Wendy, Ken, Sean, thank you for having me. Uh, delightful. Thank you for letting me opine about things that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. So I, I appreciate that. I would love to continue the conversation for sure. You know, Power Platform Conference, we uh, own is going to be a sponsor. So we're going to be out on the expo hall floor. We've got the session. We're going to be doing an event over at Top Golf. So you should join us if you can. It's, it's really one of those things where like, let's talk about this stuff. Again, we have products and capabilities, but we're a bunch of passionate Microsofties and, you know, technologists. So, you know, come pick our brains. We'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome. Once again, everybody come and check out Brad Orlick over at MPPC, chat with Ken and myself. Look for Low Code Approach podcast. We'll be there too. And we all look forward to having an amazing time at the Power Platform Conference in Vegas. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. I'm sure you'll hear more Brad when we are able to lock him down. He's a very busy man. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you.